Merlin Sheldrake is a biologist and best-selling author of Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures, which won the Wainwright Prize 2021. Sheldrake received a PhD in tropical ecology from Cambridge University for his work on underground fungal networks in tropical forests in Panama as a pre-doctoral research fellow of the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute. He is a research associate of the Vrije University Amsterdam, Head of Science and Communication Strategy for the Society of the Protection of Underground Networks and sits on the advisory board of the Fungi Foundation. Merlin Sheldrake, welcome to One Planet Podcast. Thanks, it's great to be here. So tell us about your journey, uh, which you... uh, describe and in your wonderful book Entangled Life. Um, when did you become fascinated with fungi and why does the subject remain endlessly fascinating for you? I became interested in fungi when I was young, when I was a child. Uh, I was interested in how things change and this was just something I'd observed in my my daily life. I would take buckets of kitchen waste to the compost heap in the garden and then several months later I'd help to shovel out the compost that had formed from the decomposition of this kitchen waste. Um, and it struck me as amazing that one thing could turn into another. You know, a, a, a log could turn into soil, a pile of leaves can turn into soil. And I asked uh, many questions about this process. And, and it was explained to me by my father that, um, that this was a process of decomposition and this was overseen by organisms that we weren't able to, usually at least able to see with our naked eyes. Um, and that fungi were some of these organisms. And so I became very interested in, in, in who these organisms were and, and, and how they could have such a, a astonishing transformational power, but without me being able to see them doing it. Uh, this was always very puzzling for me and, and something that drove my curiosity. Yes, if I really feel, I mean, once you go into it, I mean, you describe it so very well in Entangled Life. I mean, if we could just see beneath the surface and to really understand what's going on, even, you know, just as you say, in soil, which we think is a kind of humble, simple, um, but just to understand the complex networks and ways of communicating. Yeah, it's such a wild world there. Um, and there are so many different types of soil, of course, and all these different types of soil ecosystems and um, astonishingly diverse uh, places, um, diverse in terms of the physical environment and diverse in terms of the uh, living organisms who have adapted to different corners and crevices of these physical environments. Um, so it's really um, exciting to see us exploring more and more these details uh, of life in the soil, which remains so mysterious, you know, and it's just with the help of modern techniques like DNA sequencing and, um, and other such methods that we're, allow- we're allowed, um, oh, we, we, <laughs> we give ourselves access to uh, these mysterious uh, realms. And there's a lot of interesting uh, developments. Well, I don't want to skip ahead to, um, you know, too much, but um, there uh, in terms of what we can learn from fungi and uh, new um, ways we can help in the, the battle against climate change. Uh, would you like to you know, expand on some of those exciting developments? Well, humans have been partnering with fungi for an unknowably long time, um, no doubt for longer than we've been humans, in fact. And um, for whether uh, as foods, eating mushrooms, um, 
as medicines, um, dosing ourselves with molds, um, other, um, other mushrooms that might help parasites or uh, other types of infection. I'm using mushrooms as um, tinder or a way to carry a spark, this very important thing that humans needed to do for a very long time. And, um, and as agents of fermentation, uh, as in yeasts um, creating alcohol. So humans have partnered with fungi to solve all sorts of problems. Um, and so fungi have found themselves in, enveloped within human societies and cultures for, for, for a long time. And, and so this is no different today. And we find ourselves in a position today where we are leaning on lots of these very venerable relationships that humans have with fungi um, and bringing them up to um, that the, are the becoming modernized, whether that be antibiotic discovery um, or other uh, fungal medicinal properties. But there are also some, some interesting new situations that humans are finding themselves in. Um, and some of these new situations might be very helpful for us as we adapt to life on a damaged planet. And um, some of these exciting possibilities involve uh, building materials, uh, using fungi to create fungal mycelium to create um, new types of material that can be um, that might um, help to disrupt polluting industries like plastics um, or poisonous particulate um, resinous boards used in construction um, or to replace animal leathers um, and um, so these fungal building materials and fabrication materials are, are one exciting area and one of the things that's exciting about them is that they can be grown on or waste products, on agricultural waste products. So it's a way of harnessing a waste stream um, and converting it into something with value. Um, and also in forestry and agriculture, you know, every time we cultivate a plant, we cultivate fungal relationships. All plants depend on fungi that live in their leaves and their shoots, and almost all plants depend on fungi that live in their roots um, to su support their growth and allow them to um, acquire nutrients from the soil. So as we try to um, reform dysfunctional industrial, agricultural and forestry practices towards something more regenerative, we will inevitably um, be working with fungi and there might be ways that we can um, become more mycologically literate um, in order to develop these techniques. Many of these techniques are, uh, will be very familiar to traditional um, agricultural practitioners um, and they might just be brought up to date using the um, cutting edge tools of modern microbial sciences. Um, so there are lots of ways that fungi can help us. Um, there are also lots of ways that fungi cause problems for us and, and, and will no doubt continue to do so as climates change um, and as this range of different species changes. So you might have, for example, a fungal pathogen which moves into a new area um, as the climate warms and kills large areas of a forest uh, at which that forest would then be decomposed by other types of fungi and return lots of carbon to the atmosphere. So this is not a simple story of fungal saviors. Um, there are lots of ways to be a fungus, but there are certainly many ways that we can become more mycologically literate and partner with fungi um, to help us move forwards in a good way. I love that expression, mycologically literate, because indeed it's a, the communication is, uh, it's fascinating and it's so uh, far-stretching as you know as you study uh, the way trees can communicate through um, these mycelial networks and 
as you say, it's yes, they're not, it's not always benign, just like we have to be stewards of our planet and make sure that our planet is in uh, a good balance. We have to make sure that um, microbes and and fungi also don't, we don't disturb that balance. Um, and Cooper, this is a subject that interests you very much. Yeah, um, so in your book, um, at one part, you mentioned like a story with some of the researchers that you were doing work with, the bat researchers and Pan Mai was. Um, you made the joke that, that they had been spending so much time with the bats that they became like the bats themselves. And then they ask you kind of how the fungi have kind of changed you. Um, do you think you have like an answer for that that you could give us? And then also to that, do you think like there's ways we can learn from fungi that we could change our society for the better, both individually and collectively? So um, it's always a little hard to know how these things have affected you, uh, at least um, because it happens over a long period of time and, and usually gradually. Um, but I've certainly found myself adopting a more fungal point of view um, and that's not to say that i am experiencing things that a fungus would experience but that i'm imagining a situation from a fungal point of view um, for example when i think about plants i tend to think about plants as um, algae that have evolved to farm fungi and fungi that have evolved to farm algae um, and that, that plants are a visible outgrowth of micro ancient um, my mycorrhizal fungal associations um, and just that awareness shifts the way that I experience um, the food that I eat, the plants that I eat, and, and the um, ecologies that I encounter and that I walk through and live among. Um, so I think there are some other ways that, 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 that fungi have affected me, but to go through the more general point um, about how we can learn from fungi, and I think this is a very big question, and I think there are lots of levels on which we can learn from fungi. Um, and maybe I'll just list a few that I think are important. Um, not an exhaustive list but one might be um, the importance of um, networks of relationship um, that life is networks of relationship that the smallest unit of analysis as donna haraway says um, is a relationship and when we're talking about the living world um, fungi remind us of this because they form persistent physical connections between organisms they embody the principle of ecology which is the relationships between organisms and so i think they make very good post organisms for ecological thinking um, and leading on to another point, which is that the importance of symbiosis, fungi are symbiotically prolific and have entered into so many different symbiotic relationships, world-changing symbiotic relationships over um, the billion years that they've been around on the planet. Um, and symbiotic relationships are really important to think about because um, we are symbiotic organisms, all organisms are symbiotic organisms, and this raises these symbiotic relationships raise really interesting questions for us when we're trying to understand the nature of relationship. When we say interrelationship, it implies that there are two separate entities that need to be connected, that those separate entities are indeed separate and all they need is some link between them. But in symbiotic relationships, it becomes clear that that's not so much the case, that, that the entities arise out of their relationship, that the relationship is, um, is uh, fundamental to the identity of these two parties, that it's not like they're a prior existing two parties that then need to be connected afterwards. Um, so in these different symbiotic relationships, whether the relationships between fungi and plants or uh, the relationships that we see embodied in lichens, um, fungi teach us about um, the, the fundamental um, symbiotic nature of the living world and, and of um, the various 
occurrence and patterns in evolution. Um, another point that I think that we can learn about fungi and um, that we can learn from fungi on is the formation of networks, um, decentralized, robust um, networks that remodel themselves that are sensitive to changes in the, um, their surroundings and circumstances. Um, and another point is about um, waste, reframing our dysfunctional philosophies of waste. Fungi are um, profoundly um, embedded in their environments. They are a really remarkable, metabolically ingenious appetites in bodily form. And um, there are lots of ways that we can learn to think, I think, in more cyclic, cyclical ways about um, waste and what it means um, to, to think of a waste stream and design a waste stream. Um, another point would be about um, the fundamental processual nature of reality. Fungi form um, mycelial networks which have no defined body plan. Um, there's no fixed endpoint, no shape. Um, they don't become fully grown in the way that a human could become fully grown. Um, and so they remind us that all life forms are a continual process, um, that we are all in a state of continual becoming, um, and that fixed, um, neatly identifiable things are, are a fiction that we come up with to help us understand the world. Um, um, and then maybe the last one might be just the importance of what lies beneath, what's hidden, the, 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 um, the importance of the... Um, those forces in the living world which we cannot easily notice, we cannot easily see, but which are responsible for so much. Um, yeah, thank you. And just like a follow-up to that. Um, so in your book, you also talk about how um, it, fungi shape our means of communication, both in just how we think, just on the microbiome scale and how they're all around us and on us and how that influences our perception of different things. Um, do you think we could maybe learn something from how they communicate both with us and with themselves um, to understand, further understand our own ways of communication and even like human linguistics in a sense. Yeah, I think so. I think we can learn a lot from um, studying the way that all sorts of other organisms communicate, not just fungi and microbes. Um, but I think studying fungi and microbial communication and plant communication is, is, is a really exciting area for humans because it is quite different from the way that we um, understand communication in our own lives um, or at least understand communication in the lives of um, large mammals whether it be crows or whales or dolphins or, or humans um, or dogs um, when we start to ask questions about what communication means in the context of these different lives um, we start to put ourselves in different positions and start to imagine in new ways um, how these communications might have evolved and um, what purposes they might serve. Um, and I think that really helps us to um, understand more what we mean ourselves by um, a communication, um, uh, an intentional encounter where we try to convey some kind of a message um, to another party. Um, so I think there's all sorts of exciting things and possibility that we might actually learn to communicate with fungi in a more detailed way. Um, if we can, for example, pick up the bioelectric fluctuations in a fungus and we can start to map those to changes in its environment and we can maybe start to come up with an understanding of what different, signal, um, what different signals um, mean for the fungus in the sense that 
if a fungus does this when it's exposed to this, then when we pick up this signal from a fungus, we can imagine that it's been exposed to this and other ways that we can then interpret um, what a fungus might be experiencing in its environment and maybe even use them as kind of um, sensors or um, somehow listen to their activity um, to understand more what's going on underground. And maybe in some ways they are already communicating with us in ways we don't understand. There's a talk about how mushrooms can help rewire neural pathways in our brain to alleviate depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, in, even inspire creativity uh, and help us find new ways to solve problems. So maybe that's it's part of their subterranean way that we are already in communication. We've just not sensitive to it. It's very possible and, um, and on all sorts of levels, we are surrounded by organisms who aren't just automatic computer-like um, machines, that they are actively responding to their environments and humans form part of their environments. So these organisms will be a lot of the time responding to us. Um, and so, um, and that could lead to all sorts of um, communicative pathways. But um, on a very basic biological level, we have yeasts that live in and on our bodies and play important biological roles for us. Uh, and um, our microbes have to be in dialogue with our immune systems, um, with our um, tissues and, and, and cells um, around which they live and manage their lives. And so on a, on a cellular level, we are already corresponding with these, um, with these symbiotic microbial partners of ours. Um, of which fungi make up a fraction. Yes, completely. I know. I mean, I personally, I eat each morning natto, and if I can't get it, I actually feel unwell. And so I, I don't know which ways. Um, and so it's just, it's it's lovely um, to have that appreciation. And what I like about this, you're talking about the intelligence of fungi, or some call it uh, wet artificial intelligence. It's more empathetic, empathetic than... Um, other artificial intelligence but perhaps is not so attuned to its environment. Um, do you mean do you mean that the fungi are wet artificial intelligence or? Um, I guess I, I heard this term. I mean, you're talking about these kind of um, new uh, procedures or inventions where um, using fungi to build structures. So it's a, a, an artificial, maybe it's not artificial. I, I don't know if that's the best description of it, but it's more a part of its environment than one has these fears about either computerized or digital artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. I mean, I think of it more in terms of the beginnings of new symbiotic relationships um, that we're striking up uh, with fungi in these in these context that maybe we haven't um, related to them before, um, which resemble many relationships in the living world. I mean, the leafcutter ants and termites, for example, live their lives, the entire societies revolve around huge living fungal gardens um, that they, um, they cultivate. They feed with fragments of leaf in the case of leafcutter ants or with bits of chomped up wood in the case of termites. Um, and then they eat whatever the fungi um, produce, the kind of decomposed compost that the fungi make. Um, but they live in structures designed to house fungi and are regulated very careful um, architectural features of the mounds to, you know, to get the right levels of CO2 and oxygen and moisture and temperature. Um, so maybe when people are building these structures with living fungi, um, it's a way of uh, rediscovering 
what termites and leafcutter ants have, um, have, have long worked with, and for tens of millions of years, in fact. Yes, and uh, what, a, um, what a gift, what a lovely kind of life you can have to be exploring your curiosity endlessly. You must have many memories. Uh, and what are some of your earliest memories of the natural world that just uh, made you know that this is where you want to spend your life doing? Well, um, my father's a biologist and a very amazing student of the living world and encouraged me and my brother to take an interest um, in the other lives going on around us. And so it was less some sort of special thing. It was more just what we did, what I just understood it as what humans do, um, that we, we live with other organisms and we take an interest in their lives. And um, so I never really thought of it as like something that I would do separately from being a living human, that it was just, it was kind of baked in. Um, but then I mean, later on, then I, I made decisions to, to formalize my study of the biological sciences, um, driven by this, you know, by an, a desire to um, understand more, um, understand more about the living world and understand more about humans, about how humans have tried to understand the living world. You know, I'm interested in the ways that we try and fail um, to make sense of other lives as well. And you're also interested in the arts. I, I know music uh, is uh, one way you uh, communicate maybe some of the mysteries of the natural world. To tell us about, and I personally, I'm an artist, so I have this feeling that um, when we're artists or scientists too, which are um, driven by uh, curiosity, um, we can kind of come close to understanding um, the animal world a bit better. Yeah, well, I think, <clears throat> This division um, that between the arts and the sciences, um, the bifurcation between the arts and the sciences, I find very unhelpful. And it's based on a much older bifurcation of the world into primary quantities, measurable quantities, which are the subject of the natural sciences, and secondary qualities, um, things that we experience, objective features of the world that we experience, like colors and tastes and sounds, which tend to be the province of the arts. But I may feel like a very artificial distinction to me and, and one that causes all sorts of problems because we, we, we stumble over these boundaries in our mind and mistaking them for natural features of our mind when really they're based on this rather artificial distinction um, which arose at certain historical times for certain reasons. Um, so yeah, I find you know, what we think of as artistic practice uh, just part of my human inquiring mode um, and arising naturally out of my human um, wonder uh, and awe and curiosity about what's going on around me. Um, and so, yeah, it feels just as much a part of inquiry as what we could traditionally call the sciences. And it feels like I do better science when I dissolve the boundary between the sciences and the arts and I let my um, mind range freely across, across my questions. Um, rather than try and box them in. Um, and it feels like I make better art when I do that too. So I'm, I'm all for busting these divisions. Um, your book like really like touched me and um, it inspired me to go out and start looking at mushrooms in a different way. And while I was reading it, I was with my dad down in uh, the South in one of the parks down there. Um, what would you suggest just as a beginner to studying fungi 
what would be a good way to go about starting that? Would it be just going out in the natural world and observing it, or is there some other way that you would recommend that? It's so many, it's a really big question, a really important question. Um, there are so many ways to be a fungus, right? It's such a huge kingdom of life. And so there are so many ways to engage as humans with the fungal world. Um, I think very much the route that one takes depends on your temperaments and your inclination and your gifts and your challenges and your, the, the way that your curiosity unfolds uh, within your world. Um, some people might like to go and study fungi formally within, um, within a formal scientific um, education. They might be really interested in cell biology and try to take that route and might study fungal cell biology. Or some people might be ecologists and want to study fungal ecology. Some people might be interested in um, the way that um, fungi can be used to solve certain problems, like um, whether like more applied mycology, you know, um, more engineering type solutions with fungi. Some people might be really interested in um, how fungi can be used to make certain materials. Now, there are all these different approaches, all these different ways, but all of them would depend on some, I know at some level, um, on an interest with fungi as fungi. Um, and to cultivate that interest, there are so many ways you should go. Um, I, I always suggest that growing mushrooms from a mushroom kit is a really good way to start for it as a total beginner because it's so easy to do. Um, you can order them cheaply online. Then um, you just spray them with water and you can watch these organisms grow as, as part of your life in your, in your house, in your home, um, in front of you. And, um, and so that's, that's, and that can open a whole door to mushroom cultivation and it's not for everybody, but, but it's, I think it could be for a lot of people. Um, then just going out to look at mushrooms in the world around you, as you, as you say that you've been doing foraging, um, mushroom identification, um, looking at them in their natural habitats. And that's another really wonderful way to go. Um, because it will also open up your mind to all sorts of other organisms going about their business that you might not have had time or the opportunity to notice until that point. Um, that's the lovely thing about looking around for mushrooms is that you see so many other things too. Um, and so I think that's a way that they can lead us into a more expanded um, relationship, um, sensory relationship with the world around us. Um, fermentation, I like to do that as a way to connect with microbes in general, um, the flavors and the um, you know, all, the, all the fun of the products that you make, but, um, but also the process is just a fascinating one for me and one that brings me closer to these amazing metabolic cycles in which we live. Um, and um, so there are so many ways and a gardening would be another one, you know, because when we garden, we're cultivating plants, we're cultivating fungal relationships. We're thinking about the soil, we're thinking about um, how, um, what, how, what are these soil processes that allow life to emerge? Um, so that's another way. So, so, so many roots. And I think it very much just depends on, 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 on the temperament uh, and inclinations of, um, of who it is that we're talking about. Uh, yes, thank you. Those roots are wonderful. And you can, if you can just choose one of those, that's a, a wonderful um, path in. And so in closing, as you reflect on your discoveries about fungal networks, communication, and think about the world we're leaving for the next generation, um, the future, education, climate change, um, and how our systems need to adapt to work in greater harmony with nature, what life lessons have been important to you and what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I think it's important to balance our natural reductive tendencies with uh, an inclination towards 
the whole or more holistic points of view and to resist the encouragement to reduce our world, um, our, our sensory world uh, and the living world around us to um, a collections of machines um, and parts of machines and parts of machines um, and to see instead um, a living world of relationships. I think this is quite, if, if this shift can take place, I think a lot of other things will also start to change. Um, and I think a lot of the problems that we face in general come from um, a mechanization of the living world. Um, and so in general, um, thinking about, at least I find it helpful to think about the context in which something is taking place as well as as much as the thing taking place um, to learn to find comfort in ambiguity without trying to resolve a question one way or another uh, without trying to create some kind of false certainty just to make me feel more secure a focus on the relationships as much as the entities doing the relating is another thing that i find very important a suspicion of those who fetishize reduction at all costs and who quest for certainty at all costs. And these things lead me towards a, the open questions that surround us and which can nourish us. And um, these things I find helpful. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be evangelical and everyone else should, do, um, should adopt those perspectives, but um, in answering your question, those are things that come to mind. Thank you. And thank you for your openness and, and also saying, yes, we don't know all the answers and, and that's okay. Ambiguity is important. And that's about the beauty of life, I think, and the natural world. So thank you, Merlin Sheldrake, for what you're doing to help us understand this entangled life and the fascinating world of fungi. Appreciate the importance of biodiversity and create ecological awareness. We all live on one planet we call home. Thank you for adding your voice to One Planet Podcast at the creative process. Thanks for having me. One Planet Podcast is produced by the creative process. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Cooper Brokoff with the participation of collaborating universities and students. The associate interviews producer on this podcast was Cooper Brokoff. Digital media coordinator is Phoebe Browse. Theme music is written and performed by Juan Sanchez. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.